Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom. Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lionel Land Ministries, and I again want to welcome you to our program. We're in a study of the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in the midst of the study. And if you would, uh, please join me in chapter 9, right toward the end. We are at verse 35. And just a few verses to complete the chapter, it says, And Yeshua was going about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest." Now, in the previous programs, we've talked about the different ways that Yeshua was doing miracles. In the most recent program, we talked about how some of the miracles that he did was really based on the faith of the person, uh, that they had very strong faith uh, in the person, and the Lord would do, do it with them, and then announce to them, your faith has done this. And this was, was tremendous in testimony as to what was taking place, the things that were happening. But not everybody was agreeing with it. Not everybody liked that. And in fact, the religious leaders and the Pharisees began to reject it, thinking that because he cast out demons that he himself was filled with demons and they would say all spurious negative things against him. And by the way, one of the things I was sharing with people is you do the work of the ministry. Not everybody's going to like what you have to say. And they're not going to like the results. They're not going to like the way the people uh, respond uh, to you and so forth. And they're going to accuse you of all manner of things. They did it with the Messiah. They're going to do it with you. It's just part of what happens. So the conclusion here is that Yeshua is going out and ministering, and he's noting that the people are really in distress. They really need a shepherd. They need someone to spiritually come and encourage them uh, to do that. That's the work of the ministry. And he's encouraging the disciples that that's the work they're going to be doing. They are going to be going out into the harvest and, and gathering in the good grain for the kingdom, the people, and that they're going to be ministering to a lot of people that will be like in the same situation that Yeshua was seeing there with them as well. All right, that brings us to chapter 10. And again, the Messiah is still assembling all of his disciples, still giving lessons and teachings. We know that Matthew is now traveling with the Messiah, and he's recording for us. So chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, it says, And having summoned his twelve disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Um, let's stop and think about that for a moment. The Messiah is the one who gives you the authority to do spiritual things. He's the anointed one, and he gives that to you. The Messiah decides to anoint his disciples, and they now have a power over unclean spirits and to heal different diseases and every kinds of sicknesses. 
Um, maybe you never thought about that, you know, that the Lord can give you the power of him to accomplish certain things. But I can tell you this, having experienced some of this, you can't accomplish a thing for the kingdom if you don't have God anointing you to do it. If you're going to go out and do a work, don't announce to God and say you're going to go do it. You, you wait for the Lord to anoint you and tell you to go do the work. Because if you go do it on your own power, you will not accomplish anything. You must have the power of God to be effective in ministry. Don't get ahead of the Lord. Let the Lord tell you what he wants you to do. Then go do that. You'll be far more successful. Here he is announcing how that he empowered his disciples to be able to minister along with him. Verse 2, now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee and, his, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax gatherer, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, um, uh, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. So those are the basic disciples. And if you stop and think about it, what's going to be the end result here? We're going to have 12 men, 10 are going to be faithful, one's going to be a doubter, and one's going to be a betrayer. Later on, we'll find out that the Messiah, when he says to the men that he did not trust what was in the hearts of men, for he knew what was in the hearts of men. He knew those men could have gone different ways. Uh, this is the results of what we saw. And one of the things that I teach leaders um, is this very simple principle. And that is, uh, trust God and work with men. Do not trust men and then try to work with God. It doesn't work. Men will break your heart and discourage you. God is not going to break your heart, and he's not going to discourage you. So put all your trust in the Lord and simply work with other brethren. Work with other men. Don't trust them. Yeshua did not trust his disciples. He simply was working with them. His trust was in his Father. So as we continue on, uh, verse 5, These twelve Yeshua sent out after instructing them, saying, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey, or even two tunics, or sandals, or a staff. For the worker is worthy of his hire. And whatever uh, city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it, and abide there until you go away. And as you enter the house, give it your greeting. And if the house is worthy, let your greeting of peace come upon it. And if it's not worthy, let your greeting of peace return to you. And whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, shake off the dust of your feet. Truly I said to you, be more tolerable for that land of the Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that day. Um, the whole business of ministry is a lot of people think, you know, I'm a logistics engineer, and a lot of people think logistic. Well, i got to have this amount of money, and i got to have these clothes, and i got to... 
do all these things for a bit before I can go and do any ministry. But the truth of the matter is, when you go out to minister, it's not based on those things at all. When you go out to minister, it's about the anointing and it's about your heart and reaching out to the hearts of other people. And I have traveled extensively, and I know the experience of being in homes that received me, and I left my peace there. And I know the experience of being in places where it didn't work out so good, and I picked my peace up, and I went on. And whatever's happened in the past, I put it behind me. I move on, because if people reject you in this one place, keep going, because there's people down the road that do want to hear what you have to say and do want to hear the encouragement that you're there to offer. So that's keeping things in balance. And Yeshua is teaching his disciples how to effectively go and minister. You know, share freely the things of the Lord. Don't worry about all the logistics and so forth. They'll take care of you. By the way, the workman is worthy of his heart. If they give you some food, if they take care of you, receive it graciously. Um, that, that's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way it's supposed to be when you go to minister. That's how Yeshua went and ministered. That's how he's training his disciples to follow in his footsteps and do the same thing. There's very clear evidence that this is what the disciples did follow, and this is how the gospel was spread in the early years. Uh, It's only after we start building churches that we suddenly shifted gears and uh, didn't follow this particular methodology to go and share the gospel. Who knows what would have happened had we stuck with what the Lord had said and not uh, tried to store up and make for ourselves places and, and collect gold and other kinds of things to go with it. But today, to be able to operate, you have to be able to be sustainable. And, and I've found that the Lord's, as I go out and minister, the Lord's people make it sustainable, you know. But you've got you to gotta truly minister to their hearts and you've got to be edifying to them. And if you do so, they will share. They will take care of you. So you don't have to worry about that stuff. You can just focus in on the good that you can do in the ministry. Verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not become anxious about how or what you will speak, for it shall be given to you in the hour that you are to speak, and for it is not you who will speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And brother will deliver up brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated on all, by all on account of my name, but it, is one, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in this city, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you shall not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Now that last verse kind of put a different spin on everything he'd been saying. It's one thing to say, Look, you're going to run into opposition. People are going to object to you. That's one thing. But then he, it became in ascending order of more difficult. Uh, it came into the things about enduring to the end, then you'll be saved. You know, that's the language of the Great Tribulation. 
In the Great Tribulation, it says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. That's what is the description of the Great Tribulation. So he's using that same language all the way to the Great Tribulation. So he's talking about doing this work of ministry all the way to and including the time known as the Great Tribulation. All right, verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he has become uh, of his teacher and the slave as his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will the members of the household? The, uh, there's a very simple principle. Uh, you can only take a person to as far as you are. Um, if you're the master of the house and you train up someone, you can only take him to that level. You can't take him beyond that level. He'll have to go beyond that level on his own uh, with the help of others. The, and, and one of the things that the, the disciples being told is don't get above your master. You're, you can't do it. You can come up to the level with him, but you can't go beyond him. And the principle for us is, well, you just work on coming up to the level of Yeshua as the Messiah. Don't worry about trying to get above him. That was the mistake that Hasatan made. He wanted to be above God, and it got him in all kinds of trouble. Verse 26, Therefore do not fear, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and whatever what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them fall uh, to the ground um, apart from your father? The very hairs of your head are numbered. Therefore do not fear, you are more of value than any of the sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven, But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny them before my Father who is in heaven. This is kind of a a standard thing that comes with being a disciple. Um, And I will tell you honestly, when when I've read this before in the past and have considered this passage of Scripture, I've said, well, you know, this is standard stuff. This is what is expected of us and, and things like that. But I've never really been challenged uh, by the idea, will I deny the Lord or will I confess him? I've, I've, I've been in very pleasant places with pleasant brethren, and it wasn't that difficult to stand up and confess the Lord. Well, consider with me for this for a moment. What if you enter into an environment where believers are being oppressed? Where the government doesn't like you, and they may start making laws against you. When they start restricting you, and they take freedom away from you. And then they suggest to you that, oh, by the way, you need to give up your faith. Stop being a Christian. Stop being a believer in the God of Israel. What are you going to do then? And while you're saying, well, I don't think that will happen to me. Let me just tell you, this has happened multiple times to people all over the world historically, and by the way, it's taking place in the world today. And for you to stand and say, well, that won't reach out and touch me, is very foolish on your part. It is probably coming. And each of us will be tested 
and to see if we'll confess the Father and confess Him. The, you might want to reread this passage and ask the Lord to assist you and help you to be able to do this in the day that you're put to the test. Verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother, her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of your own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me, and he who is, has found his life shall lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake, they shall find it. Very powerful, very sometimes for some brethren, very difficult to do. But I've seen other instances where Somebody stuck to the guns, and they stood up for the Lord. And it wasn't too long afterward, the rest of their whole household came and joined with them, and they all now are in the fellowship of the Lord because somebody finally stood up and said it's real, and they saw that it was real, and they, they, they wanted to trust and believe in something that was real. And um, I've had, when I first started my Messianic ministry, I lost a lot of friends. I have good news for you. Uh, a lot of those friends came back, and uh, we got it got it straightened out, and they are, they are now strong Messianic believers. Some of them have become leaders in the Messianic movement who at first rejected me and uh, the relationship I had. They had to see it's real with me before they could hold to it. And your family needs to see the real thing with you that you really do trust the Lord, you're going to follow the Lord, and you understand they got to make their own decision, but you be true to your testimony and be true to the faith, and thus you'll be worthy of the Messiah and set the example for them. You'll be a light to them in the darkness of their lives. Uh, let me take you to verse 39. I want to emphasize this. He says, He who has found his life shall lose it, and he who has lost his life for his sake shall find it. It almost seems antithetical, but it's like he's saying, if you really want to save your life, if you really want to do good, be willing to lose it. Be willing to give it up. That's how you'll gain your life. And if, if you try to focus on gaining your life, you'll end up losing it. And uh, this is certainly proved out. This is another spiritual law, another spiritual principle about serving the Lord. Um, a lot of people think, well, if you turn to the Lord, you follow what the Lord is, you're losing your life. And, you know, if you start keeping the Sabbath, well, and you lose all of Saturday and you lose so much and, and it's bad and so forth. When in truth of fact, when you start keeping the Sabbath, you suddenly find out you gain a lot. You gain peace in your life and, and, and good things happen to you and blessings and things like that. And that's a classic example of, you know, lose your life, that's how you gain it. If you try to save your own life, you'll lose it. This is particularly true going to be in the last days, brethren. You need to be willing to give it up. That's the, how you'll live. Um, if the day comes that we have to escape, um, and the Lord has told us about the greater exodus, and we got to walk away from everything, we got to essentially lose our life that we had, our home, and then lose it all, he said, 
by you doing that, that's how your life will be saved. But if you want to hold on to what you got and save your, quote, life, you will end up losing your life. That's particularly true when it comes to doing battle with our spiritual enemies. All right. Verse 40, he who, re- who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of the disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. This is where the Messiah is teaching us that do good. You know, render honor where honor is due. Do not be opposed to the people who are serving the Lord. Cooperate with them, work with them. It'll be to your benefit. And the Lord says he keeps an account for all those things. And he says you will not lose your reward. Now, we don't necessarily go out and do things in the ministry just so we can get reward. But the reality is the Lord says that if we do do the work of the ministry and we do increase the kingdom and we edify other brethren, that there is a reward uh, that comes with it. It was worth it, is basically what he's saying. You will not suffer loss because you care for others. Um, There is a gain that you will come, but it's going to be a little bit later on, but there will be a gain. And this is part of the reason why God said to Abraham, Abraham, uh, do not fear. Your reward is exceedingly great. Now, what great thing had Abraham done at that point? Well, he packed up and he moved to where the Lord told him to move. Um, He had some sons, um, and he followed what the Lord said, and he had a testimony amongst his neighbors that he was a man of God. and, And that's essentially all he did. But then the scripture said of him that his reward was exceedingly great. Why? Because he set the stage for a lot of other things that would be in the kingdom. And so he's responsible for contributing to the things of the kingdom. Have you ever considered for a moment that what you do in walking out your faith, the future implications it may have with other people? Have you ever considered the impact that your life could have on other people in a minor way that those people will then be equipped to later on go on to serve the Lord and do even greater things? The scripture indicates that their reward is your reward as well. I know the Lord says that when he comes back, his reward is before him. But most of us, when we hear that, we think about that, we we kind of picture almost a kind of a forgive the analogy here, a Santa Claus with a big bag in the sleigh. And we look at that situation, we hear about the Lord coming with his reward, and we don't think there's much in the bag for us. We don't think there's going to be too much. There's a bunch of reward for a bunch of other people that we've seen, but probably not for me, not too much in there. You are making a huge mistake. Listen to what the Lord says. If you receive a prophet you receive a prophet's reward. If you receive a righteous man, you receive a righteous man's reward. And he says, even if you do the smallest thing, like offering a cup of cold water to drink, 
he says you will not lose that reward, that that reward will be stored up for you. Basic discipleship in the Messiah is an understanding that you're offering yourself up and committing yourself to serving the Master. You're going to serve other brethren for the sake of the Master and for the sake of the kingdom. And whatsoever that you lose and that you could have had here in the world by choosing the things of the Lord, that your reward is waiting for you in the kingdom. In other words, you have a choice. You can either find gain and reward here, or you can work toward the kingdom and, and have your reward stored up and waiting for you when you're in the kingdom eternally. Do you remember what Yeshua said about some of the religious men of his day? And they were doing all manner of things. And he said of them, he said, they have the reward in full here. Meaning that when they get to the kingdom, there's not going to be any more reward for them. They got it all while they were here. One of the keys to, I think, spiritual wisdom is don't sell out for the reward here. Go for the reward that comes later. Stop seeking a reward here. Start looking to the reward that comes from the master later. By the way, the reward you get here is cheap. It's not that great. Even after you get it, you won't be satisfied with it. The reward that you get from the master is very good, very great, and you'll be satisfied with it for eternity. You will like it uh, and like it a lot. And so these are the principles that he's trying to teach to us about what discipleship in him is all about. So now we are at chapter 11, and beginning at verse 1 it says, And it came about that when Yeshua had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John in prison heard of the works of the Messiah, he sent word to his disciples, and he said, are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? And Yeshua answered and said to him, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. And as, as these were going away, Jesus, Yeshua spoke to, to the multitudes about John, and said, What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, and will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take hold of it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you care to accept it, he himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has an ear to hear, has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Yeshua is not just giving a eulogy about John the Baptist. He's first of all assuring John the Baptist that he's accomplished what his task was. John knew that he had a destiny to go out and prepare the way for the Messiah to come. He had had his encounter with Yeshua. He had seen the things that had happened. He pressed on. But now, if you recall, John is now in prison. John no longer has the freedom to go out and do more. So he's wondering, have I accomplished anything? Have I done what God wanted me to do? So he sends one of his disciples to Yeshua and says, hey, I, I hate to ask this, but are you the one? Are you the expected one? Did, did I accomplish what I was supposed to, to do? Now, had Yeshua simply said, yes, I'm the one, they, we wouldn't be talking about truth. We wouldn't have anything to base the truth on. That's opinion. By the way, just because you offer an opinion doesn't necessarily mean it's the truth. He wants to assure John with the truth. He wants to present evidence to him so he could establish the truth. So his faith would be true faith, not presumptive and not based on his opinion. That's not true faith. So he recounts for him, as the prophecy said, that these were some of the things the Messiah would do. He would give the blind sight. He would cleanse the leper. He would heal the lame. Well, there's been lots of people, doctors and so forth, who've done various things where people have been helped with sicknesses and problems. So what is so distinctive about these prophecies with regard to the Messiah? It was, it was this that the Messiah would give sight to a man born blind. He would give sight to a man who never had sight. He would help a man to hear who had never heard before. He would uh, cause a man that was lame to be, to, to be able to walk who had never walked. He had never had the bone structure that was correct. And he would cleanse the leper, the kind of leprosy where they knew it was the walking dead. There was no cure, and nobody gets cured from it. That man would be cured. And, of course, dead people would rise. You know, nobody, nobody does that. And he said, go back and tell him, that's the evidence that, of who I am. That those are the things that I'm doing. I'm doing the works of God, not the works of men. So the, the answer, the, the, the true deductive answer here is yes, he is the expected one because he's doing the works of God uh, for it. By the way, that's a huge lesson in terms of, and in particular the book of John deals with this. When I meet new people, one of the things I will attempt to do in the course of meeting and getting to know somebody, I will ask them the question, I say, um, uh, why do you believe that Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah? What, what, do, you, what do you base that on? And, of course, um, they will say, well, you know, um, you know I, I just do. You know, I feel it in my heart, and, and I've had God do things, and he's answered prayers for me and all kinds of things. And I said, you know, excuse me, but those aren't evidences that proves he's the Messiah. Those are presumptions on your part. Those are your opinions. Those are the judgments you made. I'm talking about what is the evidence that you see that he's the Messiah that anybody else could see and they would know he's the Messiah too. 
not your personal experience. Where's the proof that he's the Messiah that can get on this table and that anybody dealing with this proof then would know he's the Messiah as well? Well, most people have never considered that. I always recount my own personal testimony of when I was young, seven years old. My maternal grandmother was very devout, and she's the one that taught me how to pray, and that's how I found out about Jesus, and that's how I got to go to church for the first time. I got to go with Grandma. And if you would have asked me in those days, did I believe in Jesus, I would have said, yes, I sure do. And if you would have asked me, well, why do you believe in Jesus, if I would have been able to gather my thoughts and really be kind of self-aware, I would have said, because my grandmother said so. I believe my grandmother, I trust her, she loves me, she would never do any harm to me, and if she says that Jesus is the Messiah, then he is. And that is what is called hearsay. That is not faith. The only faith that I had was I believed in my grandma. That's not believing in the Messiah. Um, Later, around the age of 12, I had been around enough preachers that I'd heard them talking about, well, you have to make a decision to choose the Lord. So, you know, I got to thinking about it, and I said, well, you know, I should do that. I mean, I don't know of any reason why to argue against Yeshua being the Messiah. Um, Seems like a perfectly good guy. By the way, there's a whole bunch of people that believe in him, and I like hanging out with those people, so I want to be a Christian like they're a Christian. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a decision that he's the Messiah, and I'm going to announce that he is the Messiah in my life. Is that faith? No. That's presumption. I'm presuming certain things to be true. I do not have the evidence, and I do not have the proof that he is. I'm just telling myself that's what I'm going to believe, and that's what I'm going to do. And there's a lot of Christians that are at that level. Well, he's done these miracles, and I just believe he is. I'm just going to say that he is, and I'm going to stick with it. Guys, that's not faith described in the Bible. Faith that is described that's in the Bible is something that's not seen with your eyes. So what is it? It's something you hear with your ears. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing the Word of God. Hearing what God says. What exactly are we listening to that God has said that would cause us to believe in him? Because God has made promises to you. And if you trust him, you'll believe in those promises he gives. So faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. That's certainly what happened with Abraham. When Abraham was given the promise from God that he would have a son and that he would have many descendants through that son, it says that Abraham believed God and that his faith was counted for righteousness. And that's what you want. You want to have faith that's counted for righteousness. Now Yeshua is coming here and he's teaching exactly the same things and he's reminding John, look at the evidence. What did God promise? What am I doing? Oh, you're doing what God promised. Therefore, I trusted God. Therefore, this is the proof. It's not my opinion. It's not what other people are saying. I see the evidence. Therefore, my faith 
is based on evidence, therefore, therefore my faith is true faith. All right, so when we come back in our next study, uh, we're going to be taking up our study. Um, let's see. We're going to take up our study at verse 20 of chapter 11. So chapter 11, verse 20. I'll see you in the next program. Shalom, everyone. Shalom, everyone. 